Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying time is here. That's right, we're talking about Scream 2 on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, and it's your old pal Patrick Hamilton coming to you once again from a school down south or a movie theater in South Pasadena. This movie can't tell the difference. This is the Kill by Kill podcast, where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. Now, we're going to unpack all the goriest of details of Scream 2 in the hopes that uh, unlucky co-ed's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make at their expense. And as always, there's only one person I trust that when I say hi, I really mean that. The one, the only, Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing today, Gina? I'm good. I've got my my free Scream costume, <laughs> which which seems like a very questionable promotional item. But yeah, yeah. But I'm not. Uh, but I'm not in public relations. So what do I know? Speaking of them, very quickly, and the only reason I mention this is because I'm old. The person who hands that costume out won an MTV contest. That's why she's so awkward on screen, because she is not an actress. She is just a person who won a contest. And that's what she got to do? Yeah, that's, she's as qualified as the person who won the pink houses in the John Cougar Mellon camp win a free pink house contest on MTV. And, and the guy who got to go on tour with Van Halen. <laughs> oh, Gina, are we mummies? Are we I th- I ancient think mummies? So. I think <laughs> I, I breathe into this microphone and dust comes out of my mouth. <laughs> Well, I I don't want to scare your dusty ass, but we are not alone. That's right. We have special guests. They are the duo behind the Horror Queers podcast. And more importantly, they are returning champions to Kill by Kill. The ones, the onlys, Joe Lipset and Trace Thurman. How are you doing, boys? Hello. Hi, Omega Beta Zeta. (laughs) (laughs) Is harmonica style okay? (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah but we also only promote safe condom sex right. oh yes yeah, some people think that sororities are all about blowjobs but there's so much uh more than that i had to urban dictionary harmonica style and i have <laughs> i am someone and joe likewise who has seen this movie upwards of, in times yeah, yeah. Like, i mean i've seen this movie so many times <laughs> it, yeah. it, it, at least 30 realistically speaking um and this is a two-hour slasher movie a full 120 minutes that's a mm-hmm. lot of hours but I never thought to, I just thought harmonica style was something Kevin Williamson just pulled out of his ass. And apparently it exists. So <laughs> it's a real thing. <laughs> Can't say it's happened to me, but you know what? The future is wide open. Uh, <laughs> the internet is available to all of us. And all we need to do is, is do a couple of random researches and end up on an FBI watch list. There we go. <laughs> so uh, Scream 2. Um, we love Scream around this joint, but Scream 2 is one of those films that either people love, 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 mm-hmm. or somehow are just kind of medium about for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but first and foremost, it is a miracle that it exists oh. because it, it <laughs> premiered 364 days after the first film up, appeared on a silver screen. That is very hard to do. Not only that, but it had so many troubles during the production with script leaks because this is like internet like rising to the top. Mm-hmm. 
And they had to, they were doing, basically what Scream 3 is about was also happening on the set of Scream 2. (laughs) And they still turned out a perfect film. I don't know how it happened. Yeah. And then you look at Scream 3 and you realize, oh, this is what could have happened. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with you. You still had Kevin Williamson available to a certain degree to work on this film, even though he had gotten Dawson's Creek up and running, that was at least filming in relatively close proximity mm-hmm. to where Scream 2 was, I think probably by design mm-hmm. so that you didn't have to go to another screenwriter to come up with this stuff because he's much more attuned to it than let's say what happened in Scream 3. Yeah. Right. Well, you also have Nev Campbell for more than 20 days, which does help when <laughs> she is playing your lead character. <laughs> <laughs> but the nice thing about Scream as a franchise is that while Sydney is obviously the lead, she's not the only character who carries on. So the burden of that can actually be carried out and she doesn't have to be as centered in every film. It is very unfortunate what happens, I think, concerning where she's centered, perhaps in three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, four is its own beast. Listen, we'll get to it. It's, it's going <laughs> to happen, everyone. Uh, uh, oh, I can't wait to hear those episodes because, yeah, four is uh, four is very near and dear to my heart. <laughs> I am a big champion of four. Yeah, I, I don't think it is a perfect film by any stretch, but I think it has a lot of advantages going towards it. Three. (laughs) (laughs) Look, what I'm hearing is just that we're all super happy that we have Cotton Weary here to really carry the load in Scream 2. He's like a breath of fresh air. He's at his, uh, Leo Schreiber is at his most nevish in this particular. I was going to say his most Dustin Hoffman-ish. Yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) Nailed it. Fucking in one. (laughs) Radcliffe, everyone. I've never invite her to the fucking dance. I've never thought about that, Gina, but that is like absolutely spot on perfect. Which is weird because this is a slasher movie and I don't know why anyone is, feels the need to do a Dustin Hoffman pastiche in it, but he is definitely <laughs> doing Dustin Hoffman. Mm-hmm, Not mm-hmm. only is he doing it on screen, but Gina, when you watch the featurette that is on my ancient DVD that I still own, he's doing it behind the scenes. It was just the 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 shirt that Liev Schreiber would put on in the morning, like today I'm also Dustin Hoffman. And like, <laughs> I guess I love this for him. The other thing about the internet leak is that it ended up improving the movie. Yes, yes, one hundred. Can you imagine this movie with four killers? Oh my gosh! I don't. I, mean, I don't understand how. It, I I get the idea of. Well, the first time it was two. So, let's so if double you're it. going to double it, it's going to be four. But you're like, what is this fucking cabal about? Like, mm-hmm. how would that even fucking work? Carnage candy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, Randy. I will say, though, I, I do feel like every time I watch Scream 2 now, I really feel like hashtag justice for Elise Neal because I really do think that Hallie is the one who suffers because of the mm-hmm. rewrites because mm-hmm. I do think she would have been a hugely compelling villain if she had have gotten to have that arc. Yes. But I, I actually wouldn't have even minded. I mean, 
when I sorry to like tiny story when I first saw this movie um it was actually my least favorite of the three um and granted I was 14 when this happened so 14 year old Trace preferred <laughs> Scream 3 to Scream 2 yeah you were um, a shithead yeah it was really <laughs> dumb but it was mostly because I really didn't like the killer reveal I hated I mean I, I can spoil this right even though it's yeah, like yeah, episode, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I really didn't like the Billy's mom stuff and honestly whenever they reveal Mickey as the killer I remember looking at him and go who is that like wh- who is this in this movie <laughs> and I was dumb but uh, while I do enjoy Oliphant and especially once he goes uh, real nutty at the end mm-hmm. um, I almost I kind of wonder what it would have been like if it was Mrs. Loomis and Hallie so you have two female killers doing this I think that would have been actually fantastic. And I think the the script the, the script was sort of structured for that to happen when you have the inter well, let's get right into it, everybody. Yeah. We might as well talk about it in the order that we're supposed to. <laughs> uh, the film opens with the funky strains of D'Angelo's She's Always in My Hair. Okay, wait, I I, so I don't know this song, and I Googled, mm-hmm. like, what's the song? Because I don't know what they say, so I, I wrote down what I thought the song was saying. Oh, no. <laughs> oh please. <laughs> Let I, us I know. Have, I have, Jay's gone crazy, my girl. Is that, is that what it is? Oh, Jay's gone, cra- Jay's gone crazy. Yeah, well, she's definitely gone crazy. That that is something that has happened. Absolutely. Who is this Jay that you're referring I don't to, though? No. <laughs> um, for those of you who do not know, the Rialto Theater, the exterior that we see here, is in beautiful South Pasadena. That's the same locale that was used for the initial filming of Halloween. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is right along Fair Oaks Boulevard. This is before one of my favorite Japanese restaurants opened up uh, next door and before the entire exterior of the theater is on the verge of collapse. I have not heard anything to tell me that it is different uh, to date. It might still all crumble in on itself, which would be a shame because the interior is truly beautiful. Of course, we don't see it in this movie, uh, the interior of the movie theater is all at the Egyptian, uh, yes. which is now owned by Netflix. You can tell because there are the bathrooms in the bathroom <laughs> and lots of blue curtains. It's a very blue curtain-y uh, place. Mm. Yeah, um, because I definitely recognized on this rewatch, I thought, oh, there's some Egyptian hieroglyphs. Hieroglyphs? Hieroglyphs. 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 Yes. Um, In this bathroom. And all I could think of was, oh, I'm pretty sure I know that that is a different theater. (laughs) It absolutely is. Uh, The Egyptian, of course, is, I believe, on Hollywood Boulevard. It might be on Sunset, but I'm pretty sure it's Hollywood. Uh, But anyways, uh, the L.A. in me is jumping out. Um, (laughs) Unfortunately, uh, for people who would not maybe watching the movie on the silver screen, but anyone watching it on home video now would notice that there's a digital marquee on the ticket kiosk that tells you that the filming date for the sequence was April 12th, 1997. <laughs> uh, the movie takes place in 1998, so yeah. it's quite a a a cold open. And movie and 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 uh, Omar Epps' character is complaining about having to spend a princely sum of seven dollars on a movie <laughs> ticket. What is this? 1970? <laughs> so, but, but 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 this is the opening weekend of the film, or is it is it like an advanced screening of the film? Because no, they say it's sold out, so they're charging well, tickets. Okay, no, I. I also got that too. I have the note where like the, the, the theater employees are like, Oh, we're sold out. Oh, cool. I was like, okay. I've worked at a theater before. 
No one gives a shit if a movie sells out. <laughs> no, it's worse. You got more popcorn yeah. and shit to clean up. <laughs> yeah, and after, and after that mess with all those people running around those costumes. Oh, like, my uh, God. All uh, of those people would be white ticketed and thrown the fuck out. Because that is It is the obscene. worst audience I've ever seen participate in a motion picture. And mm-hmm. I went to a rowdy screening of Cats. It is. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, seen, I've seen The Room a couple times. And yeah. the audience is, oh, yeah. it is quite that bad. No. No, well, they they apparently have laced those costumes with cocaine. The, the, the only it, it, explanation it, it, for this. It, it's also again like a true story of a, of real people that are getting murdered, and they're like, "Oh, this is the fun, the, the next fun slasher movie we're getting to go see." It's like, no, this is a true story. We're cosplaying as this horrible murderer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's like they, if they were showing like Helter Skelter or something, and everyone came in like dirtbag cosplay, like hey, yeah, but you know, hey, I mean, so, someone, someone would come like that, but not the entire theater. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Also, they you can't hear what's happening on the no. screen at all. Because <laughs> yeah, like people like running up and down the aisles, going, yeah, waving the waving the kill, 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 waving the like glow in the dark knives around. <laughs> It probably might have made more sense to actually say this was like a midnight showing re-release of Stab, which was such a huge thing that like everyone now knows the story rather than the premiere weekend where mm-hmm. everyone's like, I know what this real serial killer's well, uniform is. And then we were handing it out with day glow knives. Well, <laughs> I have a question for y'all too. What is stab vision <laughs> um, Stabovision uh, is a inside joke. When they have that ghost face on a wire that goes yeah. across, yeah. William Castle, one of his films, had an O vision that was essentially that. I mean, I think they also make fun of it in Popcorn and yes. in uh, man, uh, Matinee. I, I'm just also imagining, like, imagine, like, you know, um, I don't know, World Trade Center comes out, this true tragedy. It's like, oh, we got WTO vision. It's in, oh it's, God. It's in collapso vision. <laughs> yeah, and remember me. 9-11-O vision. <laughs> Titanic comes out. Um, oh, Iceberg-O vision. <laughs> It's just a small uh, four-piece orchestra just, like, <laughs> over your heads. It's like, oh, it's so beautiful. Let's all cry. Why am I so cold? Why am I feet in ice? <laughs> okay, but it's I would 40. pay for that experience. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking, like, like, you're making this, I mean, again, like, it, we make movies out of real-life tragedies all the time, but it's just right. like, oh, now we're doing a, a William Castle gimmick on top of it. Yeah. yeah. It's- it, all, it all feels cheap, and, I, of course, it's amped up for effect, but mm-hmm. uh, wow, it's maybe over amped up for mm-hmm. effect. It, um, also here uh, is uh, Maureen and Phil. Uh, they're played uh, by two of the most attractive people 1997 had to offer, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith and Omar Epps. Uh, mm-hmm. They look real good in this movie, but uh, you all you had to do was fucking point a camera at those two. That's all it took. <laughs> mm-hmm. I remember um, hating Phil Stevens. Like, I thought Omar Epps was such a jerk to her when she clearly was not having a good time. I thought, mm-hmm. oh, wow, he's a really terrible boyfriend. I don't even know why these two are dating. Well, my thing was, he, he clearly doesn't care about the movie because he leaves the movie to hide in a closet to scare her. Yeah. <laughs> so he's not even like, he doesn't know what's happening in the movie. 
Well, he thinks well he's the tickets are free, it. so it didn't cost him anything other right. than time. Yeah. He's very dedicated to not spending any money. <laughs> uh, a little bit later on, he says, uh, Phil, <laughs> Phil doesn't uh, feel like a Sandra Bullock movie is worth $7 unless she gets naked. Yeah. Well, wait until he sees Crash, and then he's going <laughs> to see what it's worth to see Sandra Bullock on the big screen. Be racist and fall down the stairs. I was going to say, I'd pay $7 to watch a racist Sandra Bullock fall down the stairs. <laughs> no, but then she I makes... broke my leg and now I understand racisms. But then she makes nice with her Mexican maid and it's because all of her rich white lady friends won't come help her. <laughs> Look, it's the wrong crash. Let's move on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I do like her explanation, Maureen's explanation of what stab is, which is dumbass white movie about dumbass white women getting their dumb asses cut the fuck up uh, mm-hmm. it's reductive but not entirely untrue see also the 80s yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh so once we're inside the egyptian theater it's just it's like fucking madness uh it should be noted that the all all the film sequences of stab are actually filmed by a different director that's right scream 2 features two directors the second one being Robert Rodriguez, last seen by me making out with a girl half his age in a hotel lobby. Uh, and he oh. takes on the stab portions of this movie. Um, and that is also a lesson in would screen any of the screams be better if someone else directed them? We'll find out next year. <laughs> wow, too soon. Fingers crossed uh, nervously. Yeah, I, I will ca- say I. I like the direction of Robert Rodriguez, like his take on the material. But I, oh boy. I mean, I think it's hilarious what Williamson is able to do with a bad version of his own script because (laughs) the dialogue is so wooden and these performances are so terrible that I love how Stab becomes a caricature in advance of Scary Movie of itself. Yes. I, I just like that they managed to, even though that's not how it played out in reality, just managed to get the lead actress like half naked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the, the best line in this opening scene is, I don't even know you, but I dislike already. you already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, the cheap jump scares they keep employing where ghost faces like around, but I don't know if y'all noticed this. And so uh, on my previous appearance on the show, I'm really bad at like looking at those fine details. So I try to do better this time <laughs> when <laughs> like, like fucking pictures on the walls and shit. But whenever, whenever you get the jump scare of ghost face on the skylight, mm-hmm. the skylight is the dirtiest thing I have ever seen in my life. It looks like someone took like a wet rag and just like wiped it up a bit and then there's just streak marks everywhere it's terrible that's it that's my contribution well here's the problem with skylights uh they're a bitch to clean so they just get dirty (laughs) how do you get up there yeah who wants to do it who has the time you're rich you have people to hire to do that in this economy no i don't got skylight cleaning money (laughs) in 1997 they do i had to buy a new fucking washer this week (laughs) holy shit I like the subversion of elements that you know very well from Scream. Like when uh, Casey, the the foe Casey here, uh, looks inside the window, you're expecting Ghostface to pop out because that is what happened in Mm -hmm. the first film. But it does not happen here. It is left as a false scare 
and you're like, oh, uh, oh, yeah, that's right. This is a crappier version of Scrape. <laughs> oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> like, they put some fucking thought into it. One of the details that tells you everything you need to know about Phil as a character is that when the time comes, he'll put his face right up against the bathroom stall. Yeah. And that is... Uh, Gross. That is not something I am into doing. I don't want my face near... Um, now that I've learned about toilet vornadoes, <laughs> it's all I can think about. Um, he's also being a creeper, listening to something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I think you're meant to assume that it's a child speaking to their mother. And the fact that he is so invested in the outcome of this <laughs> yeah, he's development. Like, he's like leering, like, 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 you know, he's overhearing, you know, someone about to have sex or something. He's just like, oh yeah. boy. <laughs> that's, that's what I always thought it was. And so I had subtitles on today and it's actually very detailed, but I'm not going to do the voice, but it's, I swear, I swear, I'll be good. Please don't mommy. No, I'll be good. You want to know why, why I did it, mommy? I'll tell you, really, I'll tell you, mommy. Really, I'll tell you why I did it, mommy. Listen, mommy, <laughs> listen, mommy. Like, that is all in this fucking scene. <laughs> I missed a lot of that. <laughs> it's very Billy from Black Christmas to me. Yeah. Uh, yes. So that introduces us to the idea of, and it's a game we'll have to play, because in the, the first screen, you can kind of piece together after the fact who's under the ghost face. Mm-hmm. Here, because they're mixing up four different killers and reducing it down to two. Mm-hmm. You don't know who's necessarily under the, the ghost face at any given point. Mm-hmm. I assume that it is Mickey because if, uh, if uh, Mrs. Loomis came in, she would not have the same shoulders as, 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 as Phil. I believe, and y'all can correct me if I'm wrong, I believe the only person Mrs. Loomis actually does kill is uh, Randy, unless we want to buy that she kills Cece, which is why she, oh, I guess she would kill Cece, right? Because she's like, I think so. She's like there on the scene. I think the the argument against it is that she picks Cece, uh, that Ghostface picks Cece up and tosses her off a balcony. Right. But when we see with Randy, she picks randy randy (laughs) up up off the ground and you know body slams him into the back of a van yeah so but 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 that but that's that's like you know a mom picking up a tank off of her child like she's angry (laughs) yeah because it also also, honestly how much could jamie kennedy weigh about a buck (laughs) fifty he's a very slight man i could probably i could probably get him into a van but But that brings up a good point though patrick because i didn't even think about it like you know up until a certain point in this film, there were four killers. So this could have been either Hallie or it could have been Derek or it could have been Mrs. Loomis or it could have been Mickey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, I assume because we never really learn outside of the idea that the reason Maureen and Phil are killed is because their last names correspond to people who were killed in the Woodsboro incident. So convenient that they have those names and they're dating. <laughs> well, I don't know that it's convenient. I think they specifically attempted to do that to throw people off the trail or put people on a specific trail mm-hmm. in the end. But I don't, I don't, to my knowledge, we never learned that Maureen and Phil were killed for any other reason. It's not like no. the Casey Becker thing where, right. where Stu is still pissed off that they broke up. 
Yes. Yeah. That's but but the, well, the problem with that thing is that they, they do they do ditch the copycat stuff as soon as they bring it up. Like the, the next yeah. scene, it is done. There, there's yes. no, it never comes back. No, I don't because it never needs to in a certain way. Like you're already in the thick of it. Mm-hmm. Like they have one idea of what it is. And once they stumble off of it, they don't have a lot of time to catch their breath necessarily. Well, there also wasn't a Tatum on campus, I guess. Well, I I always read it as this is a good way to lure in Gale and Dewey so that we can get rid of the four of them. Mm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can totally see that. Um, We also have to give it up to whomever was under uh, that particular ghost face mask because when they stab Phil through the ear, that is an incredibly lucky shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's all the way to the hilt. Yes. Well, and they, okay, ignoring the fact of the aim, it's also like they stab through a stall door. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't I'm even. Making this a get bunk. <laughs> <laughs> How long has it been? It's been a while. Oh, it has so been long. a while since we had a get a classic get bunked. <laughs> leave it to and this is like get bunked prime man like he, he totally gets killed through something it's it's fantastic it's classical it's back baby <laughs> this this sort of requires that that like classic uh slasher movie arm strength the two be able to because because also later mm-hmm. presumably when mickey is in the costume he he's attacking Derek and mm-hmm. manages to put the knife to a wooden door. Yeah. Yes. And I'm just like, like, okay, like how much, you know, arm strength was that require? Well, okay, wait, maybe it's a special knife. Like maybe this is a custom made knife that's like diamond and it can't be destroyed by- I was gonna anything. say, it's gotta be like vibranium or something. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's, it's, completely indi- it's completely indestructible. Yeah, yeah well, it's well, adamantium well, or adamantium. something. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Now with Phil out of the way, uh, Ghostface is able to appropriate his jacket and walk, you know, and he doesn't, he or she does not need to hide their identity any longer because half of the fucking screening has Ghostface uh, masks on Mm -hmm. and wanders back into the film and we get to see Maureen talk back to the screen, uh, lament for a time both previous to this and during the sequence uh black people's uh, uh traditional role in horror film particularly slashers that they do not last very long mm-hmm. and lo and behold neither of them do she is stabbed seven times Oof. many times in front of people who mm-hmm. do not notice because they are too busy watching the stabbing on screen and were brought right back to the same main thrust of scream from west craven which is uh, he feels guilty about the movies that he makes. Mm. And this is a, this and Scream are huge commodifications of his guilt. I don't know that Williamson feels that guilt because that is the open debate. Mm. But I believe it is a debate because Craven feels one way about horror movies mm. and Williamson feels another. Well, I think it's, I mean, I, I don't, I don't remember how close in age Williamson and Craven were, but I also think it's, you know, Craven, uh, Williamson was growing up with the movies that Craven mm. was making. So he sure. was a consumer first before he was a creator. Whereas Craven really started with, well, creating porn and then creating yeah. horror movies, <laughs> but he came from a really religious background too. Sure. Yes. And had no idea what films really were. So he didn't, 
un- quite understand those rules necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's something that he gained as a skill and as a storyteller over time. He had a primal sense that made the those early films uh, so resonant that we still talk about them. But when you watch Last House on the Left, you're not going, wow, this is the same guy who made A Nightmare in Elm Street. It's just... Or Scream 2. <laughs> yeah. But I think yes. part of it, too, is that Craven has grown... Like, his career has actually gone through censorship debates from previous decades because he has been working so steadily at this point. Like, he's, what, into his third decade at this point? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So he he's had experience with films that have been blamed for real life, uh, like, you know, the, the relationship between films and real life violence. Whereas I think Mm -hmm. with Williamson, yeah, like you said, Trace, he's somebody who appreciated these films and probably hadn't had to weather those storms. So for him, this is like, I'm doing a wink, wink, nudge, nudge homage. And Craven is like, I'm making these movies. I'm getting rich off of them, but I'm also potentially contributing to the downfall of society. (laughs) It's a very philosopher way to attack it, but I was encouraged that the actual dialogue that sort of propels the original Scream actually continues here into open debate with characters on screen going back and forth whether or not cinema contributes to violence mm-hmm. or that, that, that violence can create cinema. And all that stuff wouldn't be present if someone else were directing this in right. my, mm-hmm. my estimation. Like that's a conversation he's having with Williamson, uh, even in the first film and it's, it's, it's built even bigger here. Right. And so man, uh, poor went out for both Maureen and Phil. Cause I will give it to Jada Pinkett Smith. Like she makes a meal out of that death scene. Yes. When she gets on that stage. Okay. I, I, Joe, I think, I think you would disagree with me on this too. I've always found it. I I found her death. Like once she's on the stage, a bit silly. Um, That's not to say I don't like it. I just think it's really, she's just sitting there howling her ass off. And then it's like a slow-mo like on her knees and then like slowly fall back and out. It just, I don't know. It it rings just silly to me sometimes watching this death. Y'all don't agree. <laughs> no one agrees. <laughs> no, no, no. I get. It. I, 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 I'm inclined to agree with you. Um, I am glad that rather than what I, I, it's, it's actually been a while since I saw this movie, and and I had a Mandela effect moment where I thought that after she, you know, when, when everybody, you know, when the crowd kind of starts noticing that something's not right, and everybody mm-hmm. starts taking their masks off, I remember, I misremembered it as once she collapses and dies, that all of a sudden everybody's like, woo. Like like they're like oh, cheering okay. it like they like they thought it was part of the show, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm glad they didn't do that because oh, yeah, no. I I think that would have been a little too misanthropic, you know. <laughs> I mean that yeah. like you know <laughs> people are so into what they're seeing on the screen and so you know hyper focused that they don't actually notice that a person is really dying in front of them. I, I think that you know a a you know a, a a less subtle hand directing it or writing it would have had the audience react that way. Mm-hmm. But but I, I'm inclined to agree with you. It's a little it's a little over the top. Like I, I'm fine. This sounds so bad. I'm fine when she's getting stabbed. All that's great. It's just like her 
her it's like a uh, oh my god um like an old old golden age of hollywood death scene like make it count <laughs> like get, yeah. get it where she's there. like where she's like railing to the heavens and all. yes yeah. <laughs> well she's playing to the back of the audience people this is yes. live theater <laughs> and later on like we're gonna get the direct reference to this with the whole cassandra yes play mm-hmm. thing yeah. like this is what happens in that sequence mm-hmm, mm-hmm. happening in real life like they they pair it up so it is over the top because she's playing to the back of the theater because it's a stage and mm-hmm. this is a essentially staged by the killer mm-hmm. not by her so right. like it it makes sense thematically whether or not it plays i, I think that's uh your mileage may vary right. sort of sitch yeah I mean, I don't dislike it. It just like again, it just it's always I've always found it more sli- slightly funny. But I do think that the cut to the title card is we kind of get like you know what three seconds of silence as we just look at her body that mm-hmm. brings it back up. It's like oh shit, like that's creepy. Yeah. Yes. It 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 feels there's an impact to it, and mm-hmm. you know that's not necessarily something you feel that impact uh, during let's say Friday on th- Friday the thirteenth. Part two. Yeah, when Alice dies. <laughs> when Alice has died. Now, if they had had the sequence where the ice pick had gone through her nose, yeah. now we might be talking. <laughs> and she just stares at the camera to move in her she- tongue, like, ooh. <laughs> Rude. That's what she does. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that cut footage is like someone forgot to say cut and so she's just standing at the camera like what do i do guys <laughs> i got this thing in my they nose gotta keep filming it they gotta keep filming it <laughs> get it over the <laughs> like 70 we minute can't mark. reset yeah oh, they don't God. have enough money for a take two they just gotta go 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 baby mm-hmm. And so with the siren song of Your Lucky Day in Hell by the Eels, mm-hmm. uh we now very very nineties. Love it. Oh my god. This Jesus. soundtrack is a banger though, folks. <laughs> Creed aside. Oh, well, Apparently the I mean, sound the soundtrack got negative reviews when it came out. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I I think it might be a generational thing here because <laughs> I am perfectly fine with the eels. I, I enjoy them, but when you start bringing dragging the Dave Matthews band into the situation. <laughs> Or let's say a Cottonmouth Kings song. I'm like, fuck you. I lived that. I don't need to relive it. Go to hell. Uh, so uh, Sydney starts getting, uh, you know, uh, these uh, prank phone calls. Luckily, she now has caller ID, which I think is a great move. Uh, we get to see <laughs> Cotton in his most nebbish mode, uh, being interviewed by the uh, screen uh, screenwriter himself, Kevin Williamson, mm-hmm. uh, on the tiny four by three television. That is something we had. We we's old college uh, dorms, man. This yeah. is the biggest dorm room I have ever seen. It's pretty. Big. Oh my god! <laughs> it's, it's so pink. It's so pink. <laughs> It is bigger than my first apartment. I'll, I'll just say it right now. And there's not even a bathroom in it because they have, they have they have a community bathroom, as you see when Sid grabs her little bathroom ba- uh, basket. So it's just this giant. Like, they can't see each other's beds because no. their beds are around the corner from each other in their room. That's true. Although I will and say, spoiler g- alert, we're covering the skulls 
Yeah, in oh. an upcoming episode. And the dorm room in that movie is big enough that they can throw a football to each other from across <laughs> the room. <laughs> Wait, but but it's Yale. Does Yale not have dorm rooms like that? Uh, maybe so. I don't know. Well, <laughs> it's like I didn't realize school. Windsor Community College is on the same plane as <laughs> Yale. Oh, it's community college? I thought it was just Windsor College. They call it, a, um, he calls himself a community, a college community theater professor, doesn't he? Oh, maybe. Oh, I think he just says a college. Uh, I could be mistaken. I could. Be well, mistaken. I mean, if you're not, I mean, again, nothing against community but college. They, we all, we also. Yeah, hey, I, I failed out of two of them. So <laughs> was one of them Windsor? It was not. Ah. No. And, I, and no dorms were attached to either one. I'll tell you that. right. I just like that, uh, that David Warner shows up for like one scene as the college professor. And it's like, is he going to get killed off? Wait, no. OK, he just disappears yeah. entirely. Okay. But he's so good. I love well, him in this role. No, he is great. And I'm just like, I'm like, I, like, clearly he had more to do at some point. Well, I, yeah. think, I, th- I, I think, though, he's also meant to be a red herring, like the person that shows up once and then is revealed to be the killer at the end. Um Maybe I'm wrong, but I mean, that was the thing too in the trailers for this movie. Like, it was like they had the whole Randy, oh, let's look at the suspects. And then they like do a super cut of every character in the movie. And there's a lot of characters in this movie for that very reason. Mm-hmm. And yes. there are a lot of characters, and they're all played by people who still more or less have careers. Yeah. yeah. It is fucking odd how well cast this motion picture is. I mean, when you compare it to like, valentine patrick which came oh, out roughly yeah. around i mean that's got a lot of also yeah. rants in it like like Where you know, are they as, yeah as you said like the it girl for the minute and then you know went on to like for like nothing but all of these people you know are at least still doing stuff yes oh jessica caulfield <laughs> well i know that poor girl we love her she picks she's in two really bad uh post-scream slashers but she's she's a trooper she made it to yes. la in both of them though yeah she did <laughs> <laughs> i will say though i mean i i because I, I think after the first one they're like cool we know we, we know the gimmick we've got to like it's all who done it who's the killer and i think that honestly like this one handles the red herrings and stuff so much better than something like say scream three when almost everything feels so cheap when they're trying to make something a red herring it's like oh my god it's like you're just sticking a red finger at someone going look they might be the killer whereas this it's more subtle it's a tone problem yeah this film has a very even purposeful tone Mm -hmm. and it's the same thing in scream like there's a real assurity that they know what they're doing, even in chaos. Yes. They knew what they were doing. And Scream 3, there's not nearly that amount of chaos, and they're second-guessing every choice they make. Yeah. Because they should. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, listen, it's not the worst thing. Like, it's perfectly. It's, it's watchable. It's, it's watchable. Yes. Yeah. Trademark Gina Radcliffe. It's fine. <laughs> so let's let's get into film theory class now we've broached the subject to a certain degree uh regarding um whether or not uh, cinema violence contributes to real life violence uh and let's just very quickly go around the room as to whether or not we believe that to be true i will come down on the no no it doesn't anyone else i will also say no 
I will also say no, but I will also subscribe to the movies make psychos more creative line from Billy. So if I, <laughs> I, I feel like it doesn't inspire the desire to kill, but I do think it can inspire um, if you because if you're going to kill someone, you're going to kill someone. So I think you can watch mm-hmm. a movie and say, oh, I'm going to do it like that. But like you're going to kill them regardless. You're dr- you're driven by other things more interior than you are exterior. Exactly. Yes, part. exactly. Even the most asinine things can mean more to someone in their head than in real life. Gina, you're suspiciously silent. <laughs> no, I was waiting for you to answer. No, I, I don't. I, I, I don't. I just. I don't think. Uh, I don't think there's a direct correlation. I mean, I, you know, serial killers aren't an invention of the past thirty years. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, what what movie did Jack the Ripper watch? Yeah. You know, what movie did H. H. Holmes watch? <laughs> From hell. probably that one where the train came at the screen and people screamed because they thought it was going to crash. Yeah, maybe the maybe the one the where theater. the like maybe the one where the like the rocket flies into the moon's eye. Yeah, maybe he saw yeah. that one. But the original creature feature, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Melier was doing it old school. Uh, but we're introduced to several characters here. Of course, uh, we have Cece. Let's uh, pour one out for poor Sarah Michelle Geller's eyebrows in here. <laughs> oh, they have been well, tortured. Also, like, because this would have been filmed, this is April of 97, so this is being filmed while season one of Buffy is airing. Like, yeah. I always think, oh, yeah, like, Sarah Michelle Gellar from Buffy, she was a name by this point, but she's not, not really. by no. this point. She was probably best known by most people for being on All My Children. 100%. Rather than Buffy the Vampire Slayer Although, when this is being filmed. This this does open two months after I Know What You Did Last Summer. Yeah. So. Sure. It, it, it's one of those things that you can never plan. And I think for a person who's guiding a career, mm-hmm. you would definitely want someone to just be preeminent in people's minds and on screens. But we all know that that it girl factory uh, can burn you the fuck out. Yeah. So uh, free Britney. And hmm. so, uh, uh, and listen, free Sarah Michelle Geller's eyebrows. Wow. Uh, just really someone take the makeup artist here away in handcuffs <laughs> or at least their tweezers we also have mickey who's uh, proof you should never judge an actor based on the first film you see him in and of course <laughs> randy isn't it fascinating how we have all shifted our perspective on randy over the last couple of years I think Randy can be a very narrow and tricky path because you initially see him like most people who are portrayed in media as liking media. Mm-hmm. That's me. Yeah. Me, me like media, me like Randy. Yes. And then you start listening to the words that aren't movie references coming mm-hmm. out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. And you're like, that dude fucking sucks. Yeah, Randy really turns up the the nice guy you know, TM act on this, where you know he he likes Sydney, but has apparently mm-hmm. never attempted to you know I don't know ask her out. Yeah, no, like, he, he 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 prefers to 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 love her from afar and simmer when 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 she is with her boyfriend. But yeah. he is the self-described unrequited love slave of Sidney Prescott. And it, it's always, I, I, I agree with y'all. Like, yeah, you, you see Randy. Oh my God, that's a movie, but that's me. And that's why for so long, like I would talk to people and they'd be like, oh, I hate Scream 2. Cause they, they really made a mistake by killing Randy. And it's like, but mm. 
But these are the same people that are like, when Scream 5 is coming out, well, they better kill one of the central trio because otherwise it's just stupid. Like, like they got to take risks. I was like, well, they took risks in Scream 2 and you fucking like raked them over the coals for it. Now, there was no reason to keep it, Randy alive. I mean, no. you know, for, for one thing, for one thing, you know, is you know messing with audience expectations. But there's oh, no sure. reason. There's no reason to have kept him alive to the end of the movie. Mm-mm, no, not at all. No, uh, absolutely not. Especially when, and I I know this is planned, but I felt it to my core this time. When he corrects somebody, when yeah. they say "get away from her, you bitch." Is the wrong line from Aliens. No, it isn't. <laughs> no, it isn't, Randy. So I don't know if you want, there is a there's an alternate version of the scene where it's correct, and they basically refilmed it because the the deleted version that they have and it's available in the blue, but like it, it's really bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's really, really horribly bad, shot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, it looks like it is. I don't know if they only had access to certain, like it was an assembly cut. Mm-hmm. Maybe they had more footage and they hadn't quite edited it the way they wanted to but it look it looks cheap it is weird to have it in that room yeah. i know why they're setting it up but it just is weird yeah and they've hired an elderly turtle in a <laughs> jacket to be the teacher <laughs> he's a very uh, odd gentleman um and he does not come across with any level of authority no but we of course uh come out of this and we welcome back to the silver screen the one, the only, Gail Weathers, uh. who is still a shark, uh, but in in a way that is not nearly as cruel most of the time. It's like someone who's felt the sting of reality. I, well, except and, when she, except when she springs cotton on Sydney. Yeah, yeah, but 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 her dialogue is much more like. The way she delivers her lines, because I mean, again, Gail Weathers is a queen in all of these movies, and she's the best mm-hmm. part of, um, you know, Scream 3, and I love her in this. But she's, I agree that her methods aren't as cruel, minus the cotton bit, but she is a much um, angrier person in this movie <laughs> than she was yeah. in Scream 1. Yes. Yeah. She's particularly pissed yeah in the in the first one she's an opportunist yes Mm -hmm. and here she's not so much relishing the opportunity but a little pissed off she's having to do this on the weekend which the movie based on her book is opening Mm -hmm. i think is what it comes down to Mm -hmm. it's like why am i why am i being dragged back into mass murder I did mass murder. I literally wrote the book about it. Yeah, she should be in New York covering the Sharon the Sharon Stone stalker, right? The Sharon Stone stalker. Oh my god! The Sharon Stone stalker. Honestly, half the lines in these scream movies make me realize how talented the actors are because Kevin Williamson's dialogue, particularly the lines he gives Dewey, aka David Arquette, they're like tongue twisters. What the fuck? Oh, his um effectively maneuver in a given situation monologue. It's it's like a pre Amy Sherman Palladino. It's like pre Gilmore Girls. Like we're <laughs> rapid fire throwing out these lines. Let's get it out. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, I, the script is probably twice as long as uh, the actual filming length right. because they're just mouths are filled with filled with dialogue that they have to push out past their lips. <laughs> Can I just say that that I love Dewey in this. I love him so much. I just want to I just want to like, you know, give him a bowl of soup and pat him on the head. He, he, he's trying so hard to be tough. 
mm-hmm. and, and he's had his little his little furrowed brow, and I and I, I love it so much. The, it's, it's like it's like watching a child try to figure out a math problem. There's a moment, <laughs> and I I've always caught it, but again for some reason this watch it just I noticed it more is when she apologizes to him and she tries to touch him, and he like physically recoils at the mm-hmm. thought of her touch. It's I mean it reminds me of I mean like, I, I'm nope, not gonna say that. Um, it's just it's it's just it's a really nice touch of how like how affected he was by her book and how terribly she treated him and betrayed him. I, I, I really like that moment for him. Yeah. Yeah. But the chemistry, honestly, between David Arquette and Courtney Cox in this movie is so good. And were they, were they married at this point? They were no. fucking at this point. They're fucking. This is the, this is the movie that convinced like everyone on set is like, would you two fuck already? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we're sick of looking at it. <laughs> it's coming through in the daily. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty genuine. Put some pee to the, to the V and get going. Do we like Gail's streaks in this movie? <laughs> when it comes to hair, I this is uh, an up from the single streak of Scream, <laughs> but everything is above her hair from Scream 3. And not, listen, we will have time immemorial to complain about her bangs in that film, but she is <laughs> truly done dirty in that motion picture. I, I think it frame. I think the way her hair is cut, like cut streaks aside, but just the cut of her hair, it frame. Cause she has a very angular jawline. I think it frames her skull really well. So I, don't, I, I, I really like the way she looks in this movie. I do too. I find the only thing I don't like particularly about the women's haircuts throughout the scream franchise is how they always equate Gail with Sydney by giving them the exact same hair. Like, <laughs> like if you look, yeah, they, right. they have almost the exact same hair minus the bangs in three because no one ever has those fucking bangs. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> never before, ne- certainly never after. <laughs> like the only time I've seen a haircut like on that is, is when a five-year-old takes scissors to a doll she doesn't like. It's not great. <laughs> um, you think it's going to grow back. That's why you do that. Oh, God. I just wanted to see what it would look like. Oh, I made a mistake. I, I, I say that as someone who definitely gave his sister's Barbie dolls a haircut because I thought they would grow back. Oh, no. <laughs> now, you were 14 at the time, yeah. right? This was yeah, last obviously. year. Obviously. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. um, this is when we're also introduced to the one, the only Debbie Salt. Uh, uh. And this is the other secret weapon of this movie. Yeah. Uh, in my estimation is they come out with a character that's so obvious, but so obvious to the point you do not believe if you haven't seen the movie before that she's a fucking killer. Oh yeah. She's, she's got them crazy eyes. Mm-hmm. Do y'all remember mm-hmm. the first time you saw this? If you pegged her as the killer before the reveal? No. Oh God, I don't remember. I don't, I don't think I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty slow on the uptake with that kind of thing. So probably not. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was definitely on the Derek train. Uh, I, I, was, I was too. Yeah. My issue with yeah. Mrs. Loomis, AKA Debbie Salt is that she disappears for long stretches. So sometimes I would forget that she was still here. True. Mm-hmm. But it, she is constantly introduced. So in that, that sort of Agatha Christie aesthetic, she is there throughout the film. So she never truly goes away, right. but she's also not central to the action. Mm-hmm. And why would she be if she's any more central to the action the end result would not make sense. No, it, it, it's a per, it's 
perfect. Like I, she is in this movie just enough. And mm-hmm. like, you, like, like you said, Joe, yeah, where you, you know, she's there, but you kind of sometimes forget that she's there. And so when they do reveal her at the end, it's just, it's like, a, oh shit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she was at every crime scene. Right. <laughs> And but she has the perfect alibi. Mm-hmm. It's the same alibi. I got a deadline you know, that that makes Gail a suspect in the first film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it, and it totally fucking works. Uh, we're introduced to another character here as well, Chief Hartley. He's played by Louis Arquette, which is David Arquette's dad. Mm-hmm. Um, in this film, he is not narrating uh, the town's play musical. <laughs> as he does in Waiting for Guffman, which was a connection I did not make until this watch for uh, just because of the, uh, the frequency in which I watched Waiting for Guffman and this movie. The movie never stops introducing characters. Not really. It's not. And maybe that's why, right? Because you're, you're constantly being introduced to new people, so you don't have time to process what other characters are doing. Like, it's, again, it's, it's a testament to Williamson's screenplay, which, again, was butchered and rewritten like all the time constantly during this shoot (laughs) man as good as some of the things are in this movie the costuming it falls prey to 1997 a bit much (laughs) you talking about them sorority girls yeah i mean that's more for effect but then when you have cotton in that all dark green suit you're like what the fuck is that from like (laughs) did they pick that up off a rack and just slap it on his body it's crazy (laughs) that that was was 1998 i know but i don't want to be reminded of it i'm just a fan of all the suede that's that's where Mm. my eyes linger the little cardigans with the the sundresses that was very yes Yes, and when Randy shows up in that green jacket and floral shirt, mm-hmm. I'm like, "Fuck!" I tried to get laid in that outfit. Yeah, <laughs> oh sure, it didn't. It didn't fucking work. <laughs> Even Sydney's like blue suede jacket that she wears to the mixer. You're like, "Oh yes, this is very late '90s." My sister had that jacket. No, I, I I'm actually very fascinated by by Timothy Oliphant in this movie. Yes, um, because. It, He's not as cute as he is now. Oh, I, know. <laughs> I, I disagree. I think he is very sexy in this movie. Oh, yeah. he's cute, but I mean, he's he's uh, what do they call it? A uh, uh, long bottoming, where he looks a lot better. He looks even better now than when oh he was younger. I mean, he's he, growing into those angles. The hair he has been given is not helping. He looks like Wolverine in a wind tunnel. Oh yeah, I he's mean, he's from the Josh Hartnett school of haircuts. Oh my god! Yes. No, 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 no! Josh Hartnett was in the Courtney Cox school of haircuts. <laughs> yeah, no, Josh Hartnett had that weird, like, choppy kind of haircut. Look, it's this a is, hierarchy. A Cox this is this around is, his entire head. This is sort of a like a pompadour, I guess, sort mm, of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It does not look. It does not look like that's that's a hair that's hair that you have you maintain entire look with that. Oh, like yes. where you're yeah. wearing like you know vintage suits or whatever. He just you know it's like he showed up with that hairstyle you know on his own, and they're like you know let's just keep that. Yeah, yeah. No, the bowling shirt is not present, but it is implied. There we go. <laughs> He's been watching a yeah, lot that, of that's Dick a, Lebowski. That's a that's the yeah. that's the haircut of someone who really got into the swing music revival. Oh, mm-hmm. Zoot Suit mm-hmm. Riot, yes, yes. He's going to the Derby. It, it is. He is a big. He is a big bad voodoo daddy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, speaking of hairdos and outfits, 
Uh, we have a post Noxima pre vehicular manslaughter, Rebecca Gayhart. Oh, wow. And uh, pre Ellen, Portia de Rossi. God, really um, go in there. I, I will say, I always thought Portia de Rossi was like a lot older than her character in this movie, but she's actually of appropriate age. And I was really yes. surprised. And listen, uh, she's she's good. Uh, she is appropriately aged. What she does not have is a handle on that American accent. It uh, is like the wind. It comes and it goes, and she cannot grasp it. <laughs> Hello, Sydney. <laughs> I mean, she comes off as vaudevillian at one point. I mean, she there there's a a tinge of a Schitt's Creek happening throughout here where there's a mid-Atlantic by way <laughs> of New Zealand that mm, doesn't quite work. Okay, but the, so one I, thing I, the, the one thing I have trouble buying uh, about this entire movie, and, and you know, I, I don't have trouble buying that this was all, you know, a plot for for Mickey to be able to get arrested and and, and be acquitted because of an insanity plea? Mm-hmm. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm but, sorry. I'm sorry. Before you finish your thought, though, that was, I mean, that was Mickey's idea of what it was going to be, but that was never what was actually going to happen. Well, okay. But that was his motivation. Yeah, which right, was, right, you know, right. It was a little, right, little, right. a little muddled to, to, you know, at best. Got it. The, the only thing that I had trouble buying was that Hallie really wanted to get into the sorority. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I have no idea what, what was in it for her. But she also likes Ewoks, Gina. <laughs> well, fair, but I'm still. Like, things. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, what is the uh, Ewok to uh, sorority girl ratio? Like, do they, is it a really that huge of a return of the Jedi based decision to go into a sorority? <laughs> I don't know. I failed out of two community colleges. I would never know. I do not. I, I've never. I'm not really a fan of the Greek system. I don't really get it. <laughs> I've never understood. It, it's very culty to me. I've just. I've never understood the appeal of it. Yeah. yeah. I feel like of the two sororities that we see, though, Hallie is pledging the better of the two. What? No, Omega Beta Zeta is way better. Yeah, they because, have, they, because it's an empty house. I, mm. <laughs> Um, Omega Beta Zeta looks like it was set designed by grandma before she yeah. died and you just didn't bother to pack up any of her stuff. You just moved right in. When I, I, there's a grandfather clock on the stairs of that house and I was like, that's an interesting choice for a sorority. There are tassels on the lamp. Um, there, there's like a tap. So I'm sorry. I guess we're, are we moving into the CC of it all? I mean, we're pretty much there. I mean, we we've talked about uh, you know Cotton uh, being dumped on on Sydney. That kind of sucks. We've talked about Leah Schreiber's Dustin Hoffman problem. Um, <laughs> we we talked about the Dave Matthews Band pairing. Yeah, we're we're pretty much there. The fucking soundtrack on this thing is gone ham. Or when Dewey appears and it's like, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. Do you guys remember Twin Peaks? Yeah. Seriously. Do you remember Twin Peaks? Because we're going to Twin Peaks the fuck out of every time Dewey's on screen. With the music? Yeah. Exactly. So wait, do you know that? That's a direct ripoff of Twin Peaks. But do you know that it's not actually an original piece of score for this movie? It is actually a piece of score that was used as a temp track. It's from Broken Arrow. Yes, this was Broken Arrow. <laughs> Which almost makes it worse because Broken Arrow is just wholly inappropriate. Well, I, apparently the, the, when they did a test screening, like they just liked the way it sounded. So they were like, fuck, let's just use it. No one's going to care. <laughs> no one saw Broken Arrow, so no yeah. one will know. 
Yeah, I saw I saw Broken Arrow, oh, and, and 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 one of the I saw a lot of bad movies in the nineties. Um, was it for the Christian Slater? They were cheap. It was it was seven dollars and fifty cents. Exactly, we everything. Seven dollars and fifty cents. And I just one of the things I do remember is it had this bizarrely kind of dreamy soundtrack, and I'm like, yes. okay, this soundtrack, this score does not go with this movie at no. all. Like you've got like a shot of like John Travolta slow, walking in slow motion. It's like bam, 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 I think bam, they wanted to be like a John Woo kind of film. Oh, yeah. Wait, it is a John Woo film. Oh, God, is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Broken Arrow much has come clean now. <laughs> they nailed it in one because they hired John Woo. Oh, my God. Yeah, uh, before Face Off. That, uh, that was his American. No, it's not his American debut, is it? Um, he has, uh, oh, what is that Jean Claude Van Damme movie? Like Hard Target or something like that? Oh, Hard uh, Target. Gina, for <laughs> August, we might have to do hard target. <laughs> Why August? Because it's our birthday. Well, okay. It's, it's the birthday. <laughs> Treat yourself. Thing. All right. Yeah. Last year we did. Oh, what was that roller skating movie? What was it called? Oh shit! Or, Skate Town USA. <laughs> Skate Town USA, and it was celebrated by I think uh, to date uh, four hundred people oh, okay. have downloaded it in total. <laughs> I don't care. That's still one of my favorite episodes. It's great. It's fantastic. Everyone should listen to it. Um, it's available for you to actually watch now. Like, yeah, listen to that. Anyways, uh, so yeah, let's get into fucking CC. You're right. This is this whole thing looks like your aunt went to town on it, the interior. <laughs> but it is a very big house. Oh, it's huge. With a, with a lot of mismatched, mismatched furniture in it. I will say hence, my favorite element of this is the fact that we are introduced to Cece eating pizza while she's watching some, you know, she's channel flipping and talking about mm. obviously Party of Five. But when she comes out as she's talking to quote unquote Ted, we see that there's a giant sign on the door that says no food in the living room. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Cece, bitch, come on. Yeah, she, that's why she died. That's that's why she died. She violated the rules, just like in Friday the 13th, part five, when after you see the sign, no handball in the hallways, <laughs> people die. Yep. Because they played fucking handball in the hallways. You just know that they did. Should have known better. Um, if I ever write a slasher movie, that's going to be every day. I'm going to have signs for everything. And whatever character oh. breaks the rules on said signs, that's going to be how they die. <laughs> okay, scary movie six. <laughs> <laughs> no, really serious, though. Like, not a parody. But, like, you know. Okay, serious one. movie six. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the thing that kicks this up a notch, in my estimation, is the first real big thriller sequence, the first big chase sequence mm-hmm. in this, which is a elevation of what happens in, in Scream. Yep. There are small sequences in there, and they work very well, but there's a real dedication here to try to build up something in the middle of the film that might match up or exceed the Casey Cold Open. Hmm. And... I think this is something that comes very, very close to it because it establishes that geography in the same way. Yeah. You have an actress you don't want to see die mm-hmm. and would assume would make it further in the motion picture if her death wasn't given away in the trailer. Uh, yeah. Um, what am I going to do? Like, I fucking give away things in trailers all the time. But... <laughs> um, 
and they work a a scenario into it that you can kind of understand, which is the cordless phone that she's on only works inside the house. If she goes outside, it phases out. So it draws her back into mm-hmm. the house she's trying to escape. And, and she has, because again, like, you know, you can watch the scene and be like, bitch, get out of the house, like run away, run down the street, do leave the phone. But she doesn't really have any reason to believe that the killer is already inside the house. Yeah. So I, I do buy that. I also love that um, supposedly we do have um, Mrs. Loomis and Mickey working together because some one of them is talking to her on the phone yeah. when the other one sneaks inside the house. Yeah, he does not have a phone and he, and the person on the phone is already talking. So mm-hmm. if it is Mickey under the hood, then it's uh, Mrs. Loomis on the phone or vice versa. I'm just imagining them like powwowing outside the house. Like, okay, I'm gonna go on the phone. You run inside, do this thing. Okay, cool. We're gonna all right, go, go break. No, I want to be the one who murders a rock paper scissors. Rock paper scissors. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, we do as we love to talk about on on the show what Cece is wearing here because she's wearing a pair of great pants. Yes, just top notch pants. <laughs> Stolen from the set of Buffy, I guarantee it. Oh. Undoubtedly, because they stretch and they move like she can really hoof it in these bad boys Mm. and kick, which is a requirement on Buffy. Not so much here (laughs) where she's let down is that crochet on crochet. (laughs) It's two identical patterns made of the same material in the same color. Gina, I need you to tell me as the woman on the podcast, was this a thing or shouldn't she have mixed colors? Oh, no, the mixing of the patterns and the colors, that was a, definitely a late 90s thing. I, I, I challenge you to to look up a catalog for a clothing manufacturer called Delia's, <laughs> and you will you will see a lot of plaid on polka dot, a lot of a lot of pinstripes and floral prints. Oh, God. This isn't out of character. It's just it, it's not great. I kind of I mean, like it. <laughs> I, like I think Sarah Michelle Geller looks cute, but I'm just, well, I'm so distracted by where does the tank. Of course she does. Like she's Sarah Michelle Geller. Like she can show up in a fucking potato sack and it would be fine. It's just like, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, they could have done better on the top. <laughs> that, that's what it comes down to. Anyways, um, we get, we get a real layout of the geography before we have a first killer reveal. And then. When that second killer reveal comes out of the closet, it's a full on chase where we know exactly the layout of the house and the camera tends not to cut. So, you know where everything is at any given point. I mean, it's kind of genius. And there are so many potted plants on pillars everywhere <laughs> in this house. and bicycles really blocking is. fire escapes like well and, and when she the, once she's up the stairs she's like running towards the stairwell to the attic like there's this tapestry on the wall which again is lending, lending credence to your old lady aunt <laughs> decorating <laughs> this fucking house yeah like who hauled up that bike for stories mm-hmm. that that's what i want to know like that's a long journey for a 10 speed bike to go all the way to the attic that's someone who doesn't trust her sisters and thinks somebody's gonna steal her bike <laughs> that's right that's someone who's needed a bike and have not had access to it because your friend took it to go get dunkin donuts or whatever like everyone's obsessed with dunkin donuts in this fucking movie (laughs) so that then lends credence i think when she's picked up whole hog after two stabs to the back 
and tossed off of that four-story balcony. I that that tells me that's kind of Mickey's core strengths here. I would normally balk. Joe, oh, we just talked about this in Friday the Thirteenth. Blah blah blah. We just talked about this in Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven because there's a character who gets thrown out of a window and dies in that movie, and it's really stupid. Not familiar. Uh, <laughs> tell me again about this mysterious movie. So it's I know you've never talked about the franchise. <laughs> But it's, it's one of these days, Gina, we're going to have to cover Friday the 13th. It sounds like. <laughs> oh, all right. But, but it's, it's, a, I hate, I hate it. Why are you fucking throwing someone out of a window in my slasher movie? But I think this works here. If only because you, well, Hey, you get her stabbed in the back, that, that stabbed in the back twice, but it's a really long fall and you hear the splat. And I think that yeah. really adds to the brutality of this kill. Cause you know, it's not a gory kill. You see some blood around her, but like, it is like I think hearing her scream all the way down before that splat. It's just it, it really is an effective kill. I like it. Yeah. The thing that works and that few slasher films seem to realize is that physical stunts are a special effect, right? That you can use to great effect here. Mm-hmm. Like everyone knows that stunt person is hitting an airbag, but when you put it in a sequence and it runs by that quickly, you you just like I don't want to see Sarah Michelle or. Uh, Sarah Michelle Geller die. Yeah, I just don't. I I'm attached to her through various things, and she's a very engaging personality. And when she's picked up and just tossed off a balcony, you're like, oh shit! Yeah, like it just works really well. well. She's also thrown through the glass door first too. <laughs> like, yeah, oof. it's painful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She a full on defenestration. Before she gets stabbed uh, and before she gets tossed off. Bless you. Bless you for that defenestration uh. usage. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a passion. What can I say? Uh, uh, but yeah, it's just fucking top notch, which is really only broken when we're our ears are assaulted by fucking ever clear. God damn it. <laughs> Never thought I was innocent. It's it, they're a shitty band, and whatever eight ball uh they gave local uh radio station KROQ <laughs> in 1996, like it fucking paid off because they never got off the radio. And if you turn on a radio here in Los Angeles, you will hear Bush, Everclear, 311. These are bands that do not need to be continued, everyone. We can leave them in the past, <laughs> but no, it, it's resurrected here to assault my eyes and ears. Um, we're saved, luckily, when we hear about harmonica-style blowjobs. Uh, in case y'all didn't know, apparently it's when you put your, I guess you turn your head sideways, and you, I'm, I'm, I'm actually doing this in, as I say this, um, and you put your lips. No, d- slower, slower. <laughs> you put your <laughs> lips on the li- on the length of the penis and move up and down so it's not you're not giving a full blowjob. It's just your lips are on the side of it as you yeah, move that's up a and side down. Job. Yeah, it's like a side job. It's really weird. I don't understand what what pleasure anyone would get. Out I was gonna of say this, that, but... that doesn't sound enjoyable for anybody. No, no. <laughs> no it, it seems like a lot more work. Yeah, for one. Well, also, like yeah, the, 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 you hurt your neck. I feel like you get a little crick in your <laughs> neck afterwards if you're the the giver. Sorry, not the girl, the giver. Um, yeah, and for the for the person with the penis you're not really like getting any friction or skin moving. Like it's just like lips moving up and down. It's like getting half into a tub, but we're like half of it is going to be warm and half is going to be cold. Come on. Yeah. And which, which half do you pick? 
like you're like do you want top or the bottom or left or right mm-hmm. there's four sides that you could do harmonica on and yeah it seems like a lot more work for not even half the pleasure no. uh, ultimately i'm gonna veto. i'm against it okay none of us are pledging the sorority now no 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 uh, it's either full blow jobs or nothing at all for me um <laughs> So uh, they were told by uh, Murphy and Lois that something is happening at the other sorority. And so everyone rushes out. Uh, and this is where we get, I love background players. There's one guy who just comes out and his eyes are bugged out. Like he's under the impression he's in a Saturday Night Live movie. Mm-hmm. And then we also get a cameo by Liev Schreiber's dog. Oh. Who's at this party. And he someone is given the leash and Liev Schreiber's dog goes across camera. And that's, that's something I know that happened here. All right. Was the dog doing keg stands earlier? Everybody's a little too excited about their police cars at the other sorority. Yes. Very excited. Everyone's super excited I mean, about violence. It's, it's reminiscent of the scene in the first film though, where they're like, principal Henry, let, let's get to the football field before they cut him down. Yeah. <laughs> well, and- <laughs> weird moment but i think this is also more of craven's commentary right it's because it's also calling back to the response at the theater where people see sirens and they think oh someone could be dead because murders are happening let's all go take a look yeah for whatever reason it it carries better in the first screen whereas here you get one guy go what the hell's happening over there (laughs) and you're like oh could we do a take two let's do a take two he's looking directly into camera it's a problem i mean so is he better equi- or worse than the girl who came up to sydney and hallie earlier and was like check out the news <laughs> oh i love that girl <laughs> and then but i'm also like wait which news though like which one? Oh, it's the 1997 there's only one <laughs> there's only the news no you have cbs you have nbc and abc and fox they all have news um the wb at the time did not have news i don't no, know but don't so. uh, well, i had affiliate news you would have local news there you there. go yeah uh, um yeah she's she's something special that's that's the news sure. <laughs> everyone whose phone gets taken out of their hands during the pre Derek kill sequence is like ooh, ooh, ooh. like oh Man, we need to do like whatever the background casting was here. They they needed another round. Uh, apparently, Matthew Lillard is at this party too. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, I didn't catch him this time. I around, didn't either. Yes. Yeah. I I now that I know that he's there, I probably pick it up. But uh, <laughs> I um, so Sydney uh, picks up a phone while everyone else has left, and you would think. Why? Yeah, I was like, why should she answer the phone? <laughs> <laughs> she's not willing to pledge, but she's willing to. If, if you're in someone else's house and their phone rings, you, you don't pick it up, do you? I, th- no. I, th- I think she know. I think she knows it's going to be the killer because she's like, okay, like two people have already been murdered. Someone probably has just been murdered because everyone's talking about it. So I <laughs> bet you this is the killer. This might as well happen. <laughs> time to engage. All right, it's go time. But, I do like that she's immediately confrontational. Like, get out of here, you fucking coward. Like, I love that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. We get a small chase um, throughout this on the heels of the previous chase. Uh, Derek surprises her, which feels reminiscent of the uh, the Billy uh, surprise in her window mm-hmm. uh, from the first film. I think it's entirely intentional. Oh, sure. well, and uh, sorry, I was going to ask y'all because you know, I mean, I, I mm-hmm. feel like I, I've heard a lot of people say, "Oh yeah, it's just doing the thing." But the people that don't like this movie, they're like, "Oh, it's just doing what the first one did." Like, but like it's a retread of the original. Blah blah blah. And you're saying all this, and I do agree that yeah, it's clearly like not not aping the first one but it's um referential yes yeah but yeah. i don't ever feel like it's lazy like i don't ever feel like it's no, like no, no. let's rest on our laurels here you know no i think it, I, I think, think it's it is you know if it further creates the sense of confusion that sydney has towards the end of the movie yeah that, that she can see things playing out exactly as they did before Yes. Where where Derek is nice, but maybe a little pushy and 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 not really respectful of her wanting to deal with this on her own. And, and you know, he does this whole, you know, despite knowing that she's, you know, she's not someone who particularly enjoys having a lot of attention, even though she wants to be an actress, too, which is kind of puzzle, a puzzling choice. But sure. we won't yeah. go into that. <laughs> but he then he does this very, very public declaration of his love for her. Yeah. And you can tell she's kind of alternately, you know, flattered, but also uncomfortable with it. And, and you know, like I said, I don't think he means to to, you know, not be able to respect her boundaries, but he keeps doing it. Yeah. And yeah. and. You know, I think that, you know, you could see why, you know, we're not going to get to it tonight. But, but you know, when, when Mickey tries to, yeah. you know, tell her that Derek was her partner, she kind of buys it at first. You know, it's well, like, yeah, it's like, yeah that, you know, I, that, that's plausible. I've never noticed this before. So I, I, I'm jumping ahead just a tiny, tiny, tiny bit after, after Derek gets attacked and they're all in the hospital together. I've always looked at this scene between Mickey and Sydney that I've never like paid attention to what he was saying, but he says to her, you know, Oh, like Ace fucking with her. First of all, because he goes, um, you're not alone, Sid. We're all here for you. But then he drops this seed of doubt where he's like, why would anyone go back into that house anyway? Mm-hmm. And I've never thought about it, but it's like, Oh, he's trying to make her doubt Derek. Like yes. that's what he's doing yeah. this whole movie. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, one of, uh, Gina, one of your biggest gripes that we've talked about in many films, but particularly when it came to like Nightmare on Elm Street was like, uh, the, the tale of what had happened previously becomes this like local legend rather than something that was reported on in newspapers. <laughs> right. And here, not only is the previous crime spree been reported on, it's had a book written and a movie based on it. So like, everyone is familiar Mm -hmm. with the previous beats Mm -hmm. of what she went through because it has been uh, described contemporaneously collected in a book and now made into a motion picture. This is only supposed to be a year after. Well, it's two years. 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 Okay. Um, uh, Despite what the, the uh, the, movie the theater ticket <laughs> marquee said <laughs> it is supposed to be 1998 although they don't like go out of their way to say it but yeah supposedly it is. probably took them a year to track down tori spelling so that they could cast her well and she <laughs> she also sure. had to read the book to do her research because it's apparently all she did for research right <laughs> and it probably took her a whole year to read the book very yeah um yeah in in that that hospital scene um mickey does a really good job of just like laying that one little thing to give doubt and then she's always looking at Derek yeah. differently from that moment mm-hmm. on yeah it's it is one of those things that i think elevates motion picture like a whodunit 
when someone who is revealed later is like been laying those little things, it it elevates the entire endeavor. In my I mind. mean, that's just something I love about this franchise in general too, though, is that it's so character focused. Like you can, you call Scream yeah. a slasher because it is a slasher, but put it up against something like any of the Friday the 13th films. Right. And it is, how dare you? It is, it is night and day difference about where the film's priorities lie and how the quality of each one, like I, I we all enjoy a good Friday the 13th film and I use yeah, good yeah. in quotes. Um, but, but this is like, <laughs> <How dare you? laughs> it's okay. We all love Jason X on this podcast. It's fine. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I feel like there's a violence, a violence <laughs> over the microphone, and it's at my soul. Okay. Uh, Gina, when you're editing this one, can you just drop in a little bit of Everclear here? <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't, Patrick does Patrick does it, so, so he'll probably record himself bashing Everclear a little more, just to loop it in. You should sing it yourself, Patrick. We should all sing a clip of our favorite song, of our favorite needle drop in this movie. I've already done mine. <laughs> but i'll i'll echo what the pair of you both just said because i think um i i'm always eager to give credit to williamson's script as well and i love that we mm-hmm. get that moment between mickey and sid and then it's immediately followed by this abrasive encounter between derek and dewey where mm-hmm. you're like derek why are you being an asshole to dewey and dewey why are you being an asshole to derek so that it's like oh we really just can't trust anyone yeah it, it, it we, that was one of those things that it helps that everyone is informed about what happened beforehand mm-hmm. and is going onward. And really the only thing that suffers in this particular scene is Jerry O'Connell's eyebrows because <laughs> someone has taken them and separated them as if they're on warring sides of Germany. There's a left is east and the right is west. And there's a wall, a very expansive wall between them. <laughs> um, the good news is he got his eyebrows set back. Everyone did um, that we were aware of. They just had to get out of um, the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> but of course, um, it only takes 44 minutes uh, for this motion picture to do the one thing we've been waiting for because it's a scream. It's the old, have you considered my penis maneuver <laughs> as a solution to all of Sydney's problems? <laughs> he's not, um, he's not quite as egregious about it as Billy is. No, no. Billy is way hornier than Derek is, is what it comes. I think is part of what it comes down yeah, to. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So you guys, it's just guys harmonica style. We've talked about this. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what makes it PG thirteen? It's not. If you if you go past harmonica style, then you're into an R rating. Once you swallow the whole cock, it's an R rating. I think that's a, def- a <laughs> definition noted. by the MPAA, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no full cock swallow. Um, and uh, this takes us to uh, what some people lament as uh, maybe the film's not greatest moment because it's meant to embarrass everyone in it. Yeah. And that is the inappropriate singing in public venue moment here. Mm. I don't, uh, I, I don't enjoy watching because yeah, it's super awkward, but like, I don't, and yeah, you're right. Everyone always says how bad this scene is. I'm like, yeah, but like, it's supposed it, to be. It's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah it's supposed to make it's every. Supposed it's to supposed to. It it is as uncomfortable to watch as every other very public declaration of love. Yes. Yes. You know that nobody enjoys watching you know public wedding proposals. Those are always like incredibly cringy, mm-hmm. or like or like you know someone showing up 
to with a mariachi band or something oh like God. that. It, 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 it's just like, you know, we know you're doing this for other people's, you know, you know, admiration. You're not doing this for the person. No. You're doing it because you want people to see what a you know, a great and loving person you are. So, yeah, it's, it's exactly as embarrassing as it's supposed to be. But it's also yes. it also serves a point because not only does it give her the necklace, which she will use later, but it mm. also sets up the entire thing with him getting kidnapped and put on the cross. Like it, it's all it all serves a point. Mm-hmm. Like a, so it's not, it's it's not just like a, a random insert. Yes, it, it, it is used to affect to further the plot later on down the line. Yeah. It's not just there because they think this will be a fun Top Gun reference. Right. Like there's a lot. They are using that sequence for multiple things as it goes on. Like Mickey uses that dynamic. If, you know, Hallie were still part of the killers, you could say that her knowing that the frat will punish Derek right. is another thing you know so regardless of the iteration of the movie it still serves a purpose yeah Yeah. you know what also serves a purpose nancy odell oh jesus uh (laughs) last scene getting her name dragged through the fucking mud by a failed game show host whatever happened to him um we get to see some sort of canadian entertainment tonight that she's hosting (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh we get what I think is one of the more magical moments in this entire thing. And that is Luke Wilson <laughs> attempting to play Stu. <laughs> I love the hair. It's Oh my God. I, I also love even in the first scene and in, in, in this, where it's like, they get the dialogue and the man, like when he does the stupid, like it's like, okay, <laughs> no one would possibly know that, Bi- that Billy did that in the first movie, but like, okay, movie. Um, mm-hmm. I also love that toy spelling. I mean, I know it's a true story, but she's just spoiling the movie on this, yes. on this talk show. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I find out my boyfriend's a killer. Okay, that's the twist ending. <laughs> and yeah. also he killed my mom the year before. Okay, that's the other ending. <laughs> but <laughs> question though. So we have Tori Spelling playing Tori Spelling. Do we think that Heather Graham is playing Heather Graham in the opening scene? And is uh she's mm, she's definitely not doing a full Drew Barrymore outside of wearing Drew Barrymore's wig. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's definitely more playing herself, whereas Luke Wilson is definitely trying to on a character yes. here, and I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, I miss Luke Wilson. Oh, what are you going to do? I will say, too, I, love, I love that they show, you know, as they always do on these kinds of shows, they have a scene that has no bearing at all on the movie where you're just like, oh, that's an innocuous choice, I guess. And then mm-hmm. Nancy O'Dell turns to Tori Spilling and just goes, oh, I love scary movies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so we get another ice cream scene mm-hmm. uh, to, again, it, it's, it, it's, uh, it all rhymes, as it were. Oh. Uh, um, wait, I'm sorry. Really quick, though, I also realized that 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 the reason that it's that scene in this talk show, which you're right, Joe, it's an innocuous scene, but the reason it's there is to remind us about Billy's mother. Right. Yes. Ah, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. It, nah. Again, they're using the whole buffalo here. Like, <laughs> there's not a lot of wasted space in this movie. So when people come down hard on it, it's like, well, you know, everyone can like or dislike a movie. You know, whether it works for you is a chemistry mm-hmm. that is individual and unique. 
but I don't think you can point to it as like, oh, there's a failed narrative or they weren't, the script wasn't tight enough or, you know, Craven just isn't doing it quite as well here. Like, no, fuck all that. Yeah. Everyone here is on their fucking A game mm-hmm. under the gun and under pressure. Yes. Mm-hmm. And apparently under uh, the speaking, heat because it looks very hot, especially when you see uh, David Arquette outside. Yeah. <laughs> No one should have on jackets here, and yet everyone has been given a jacket to wear. Suede jackets. (laughs) Real choice uh, cut. Um, I love a little casual racism from Randy (laughs) uh, linking Hallie to Candyman. Why? Because they're both black. I mean, it's as simple as that, everyone. (laughs) Though I will say, if we ever got a spinoff of the Candyman franchise and they called it Candyman's Daughter... I would slap down my $7 to go and see that. <laughs> just more candy, man. Like, I'm oh, so fucking I know. We're just, wait, we're just waiting. We're just waiting. I know. Literally the most anticipated film of the year, folks. Oh, it's going to be really good. It's going to be really good. It's got to be. It's got to be. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Don't say All that because right. when you say it's got to be good, it, it ends up not being good. <laughs> I know. Gina All right. would All know. Right. I, 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 I free it of my expectations and I hope I put it out into the universe that I hope everyone does their best job. And I, I feel like everyone cared. So yes. we'll, we'll give it that. Um, uh, and one of the things that Randy mentions here is that in a sequel, it would be gorier at every, every, but I don't feel like this movie is really gorier no. than the first. I no, think not. that, I think that the, the, the kills are a little more drawn out. Yeah, then, then, they're amped up. Yeah, I think that it takes a little longer for people to die in this than uh, yes. than it did in the last one. Or, you know, it cuts away. The, the first one cuts away a little more often. But 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 you have the intestines in the first. Like, you, sorry. you do, mm-hmm. you do. Yeah. yeah, nothing is gory than the first scene of the first movie in, in this franchise. Yeah, uh, except maybe the, that cold open. Part. They're using all of their material there mm-hmm. uh, for particular effect because that level of gore hadn't been seen in a minute right, and, yeah. or I, done that well. I, I don't know. That the car accident at the end was pretty uh, bad. With the head. Oh, with, mm. the, with the pipe, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty mm. bad. Enjoy yeah, that when yeah. you two get to it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, I, sorry. I, I, it's like there's two outstanding set pieces back to back in the last half of this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I mean, where this comes alive are the set pieces. Like, you just can't. Uh, backtrack away from the skill at hand with pure thriller but, suspense sequences. And, and here's the thing, again, because I, I said at the top, this is a two-hour slasher movie, and I don't yeah. think there is a wasted, unnecessary scene in this movie. There really isn't, surprisingly. Mm-mm. Like, no. and, and you have a, a good amount of kills in the first half of the film, but there's, again, so much character work being done which makes the reward of the back half, which is mostly set pieces and like, you know, again, chase scenes. And I mean, the climax is like 15 minutes long. It just, it all pays off so much. And I, I would never, if, if you give me a slash, say, oh, this is a two hour slasher movie. I'm going to look at you and go fuck off. Like, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not possible. But with this, it is, and it works. Yeah. It does. Even to the point where I, you it, wish it, that there was a little bit more because there's enough interesting characters that you wouldn't mind spending a little bit more time with them. Mm-hmm. True, true. Uh, but it knows what its purpose is and everything is aimed towards hitting that right target. Uh, coming back into the whole casting David Warner, 
a character actor who is predominantly used in villain roles. Right. So if you're just going to put him in for one scene, that has to have some sort of a uh, intention there. And it's really to throw you off for what is a confrontation scene when Sydney is on stage in rehearsal and Mickey is able to uh, appear on stage as one of the fates in the ghost face mask and yet keep himself hidden from almost everyone involved. Well, okay, so I'm interested here because obviously there's a, there's a debate that rages in Scream 3 as to whether or not certain times Sydney sees Ghostface, whether she's losing her mind or he is actually there. Do you folks actually think that she is seeing one of the killers on stage or is she having a bit of an episode because she is under a lot of stress? I will say personally that it kind of needs to be a person in a ghost face because that person runs away visibly Hmm. on screen. If it had been a flash cut, yes, it is her mind playing tricks on her. But when you see that person turn stage left and run, right. That has to be a person that there's an intentionality to it. I have seen this scene a thousand times. I don't think I've ever noticed the person because I've always thought it was her imagining it because the way it shot enduring it is like, yeah, it's like quick flashes of like him popping out. Boo, boo, boo. And no one else notices that the mask is different, but I guess it's close enough to the way the mask looks. It's fine. He's all the way in the rear stage and everyone else is facing out towards the audience. Mm. So it is one of those things where if they didn't show the person in that mask running away, I would I would go, oh, she's freaking out because she's on stage with a bunch a bunch of people wearing masks and holding fucking daggers, which is another not great idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bad David Warner. <laughs> yeah, just don't like. I know you want her to be the lead and everything, but you know maybe you know Get an arsenic and old lace or something <laughs> like. Try something else. I do love this, though, because when Derek then shows up and she immediately suspects him because he says, oh, I I just switched with Mickey. If we believe Mm -hmm. that Mickey is predominantly the one committing the murders, then that makes sense because he asked Derek to come and fill in for him so that he could be on stage committing this act. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's doubling down on a uh, something that is succeeding for him, which is casting doubt on, you know, Derek for that moment when Derek would come to her rescue. She's not going to believe he's there for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. Again, it's a really good intentionality in this in this motion picture. Um, so we're down to brass tacks here uh, in the middle of a scene with Gail Randy and Dewey, um, who are all trying to sort of figure out that hook or clue to determine the killer's pattern. Uh, we get the rule of three phone calls where the third one has to be Ghostface. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we we assume it to be Mrs. Lewis. Uh, and uh, then we get a sequence where they're trying to hunt down anyone with a cell phone because the, the killer on the phone establishes that he can see all three of them. <laughs> this is And this is 1998, so three people have a cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> Not everyone is staring into a brick in front of their Yeah, face. I think I think if they try to do this like this scene now it would look kind of absurd because you just oh, have like the right of just snatching phones out of people's hands left and right. Like, like, who is who is this? Who is this? Gail Weathers, author of the Woodsboro Murders. <laughs> <laughs> 
okay, gay, I'll give your whole biography. Uh, and I, lo- and I love that. Credit stamp. I love that guy. The guy later is like, it's like, I don't know, mom, someone just took the phone yes. out <laughs> I love a college student who's calling mom on the weekends. I also, I mean, again, we're, we're, we're uh, most of this movie, I feel like takes place in the daylight too. Like there's a lot of daylight scenes in this film. And I love that we get, at least get a suspenseful kill scene in the daylight yeah. as well, which mm-hmm. is well shot. Yeah, the fact that Wes Craven manages to make this tense, considering it's in a wide open quad with about five people. He's using that thing where, as an audience, you can only see what is presented inside the Mm -hmm. frame. So if something appears from just outside the frame, you are surprised because he is controlling what you're looking at. Like, that's how you can tell someone's a fucking director. Like, some people just got it. Some people gain it, but some people never get it at all. This is true. And uh, <laughs> uh, Craven was one who who had the idea of it and really honed his craft to the point where he's fucking on point in this motion picture. Randy uh, lists off a, a string of motion pictures as an example of what might be Ghostface Ghostface's favorite collegiate slashers, mm-hmm. but he makes a yet again. A mistake. Can you, any of you, point it out from this list? The house on Sorority Row, the dorm that dripped blood, Splatter University, Graduation Day, and Final Exam. Graduation Day. Which one? Graduation Day is high school. Graduation Day. Yeah, it's high school. Oh my God, what a fucking... You know what? That's why he died. I mean, he thinks prom night is good. He thinks graduation day takes place in college. He deserves to die. He's no Kirby. Um, that's, that's the truth. That That is 100. That is why Kirby must come back. Yeah. There must be justice for Kirby. Yeah. Because she is the perfection of this character. Mm-hmm. It, you know, once again, you had to bring a woman into the situation to make it done right. Mm-hmm. I don't make the rules, everybody. Guys suck. So... Uh, <laughs> now Randy uh, sort of decides he's going to go off on the originality of this ghost face. And then the original killers are invoked. And here we have Randy's psychoanalysis of both Billy and Stu. (laughs) Billy's or Stu. He's kind of pussy ass wet rag. Yeah. There's a lot of ass involved. Mm -hmm. But then it gets into Billy, and let's discuss it. Um, it's true. Homo what he says repressed. is true. Yeah. Do you feel he is homo repressed? Um, I mean, there are a lot of readings in that first Scream film that... Oh, that I wholeheartedly agree with. Yeah. I totally believe he is in a psychosexual relationship with Billy. That That is 100% true. But I do not believe that Billy is repressed. repressed. Okay, I see what you're saying. I believe he is presenting. I believe he is playing a role when it comes to him pursuing Sydney. Right. I don't believe he is repressed when his moments privately with with with. with I guess maybe because Randy wasn't there to really witness the stabby 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 between Billy and yeah, Stu. He didn't the first see one. the kitchen scene. I mean, he 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 is in the video store when, like, you know, Stu's leaning on him and, like, you know, they're giving each other the googly eyes. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, maybe in, in Randy hasn't seen enough of it to think that they were outwardly <laughs> in love yeah. with each other. Well, I know some people also believe that the, the real reading is that Stu is in love with Billy and Billy is not necessarily in love with Stu. 
So mm-hmm. yeah. uh, in in Randy's approximation of that dynamic, he might say, oh, well, uh, the way that they were looking at each other suggests that they were in some kind of romantic relationship, but he doesn't know that. So he would only assume that Stu was, and therefore Billy is repressed. Mm. How dare you confirm Randy's ideas on this podcast here? <laughs> solidly anti-Randy show. Well, it's funny because when I first saw this film, like back in theaters in 97, that line rang really weird to me because I had never considered a romantic relationship between Billy and Stu. And that was actually one of the things that started to cue me into thinking it. And like, what is Randy talking about? And then when I would go back and watch Scream, I realized, oh, there is a lot well, of sexual dynamicism here because it's randy saying it but it's kevin williamson writing it yes. which means he's yes. pinging you into that so yeah yeah he i think he is running the highlighter over mm-hmm. it so that in case you, you missed it guys you, <laughs> <laughs> maybe you should watch that movie again because i'm saying something there and <laughs> yeah Absolutely. Oh, I will say too another reason why uh, Scream Three is the week of the pack. So we have a van sequence in every single film, and correct me if I'm wrong, except for Scream Three. We got Kenny in the van in Scream One, Randy in the van in mm. Scream Two, and Allison Brie getting thrown in the van in Scream Four. All right. Mm. Nothing in Scream Three. If you don't got a van, are you even a Scream movie? Uh, no Scream. It's not Scream. Not <laughs> my Scream. Okay. <laughs> uh, but re- what really sets off this particular ghost face is the phrase mama's boy mm, yeah um and that is what really sets off the idea that this is mrs loomis don't believe any youtuber who tries to convince you otherwise with this whole the killer is left-handed bullshit oh god <laughs> is that a thing that is a real fucking thing i it, listen nothing against anyone who has a particular idea we are frequently wrong on this show <laughs> but that's not really how mirrors work <laughs> 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 The left hand is right-handed. Than... She uses her right hand. The only person who forwards the idea that the killer has to be left-handed is Mickey, who happens to be left-handed. Mm. So there's that, everybody. But yeah, she, as she will tell us later on in the film, goes a little knife happy <laughs> uh, inside the van, and that perfectly lovely green and floral print shirt combo of Randy's is permanently stained red with blood. Yeah. And we get that final denouement of uh, of Courtney Cox screaming as the camera pushes in on her mouth, which will be seen in every marketing yes. material <laughs> the Scream 2 has. I, I, it's almost like, I think they added that in like in post-production. They were like, can we get one of Courtney Cox screaming? Let's just get her by that van again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the only place that I think this misses a little bit is that they do establish that Mrs. Loomis and her choice of boots are brown. And of course, our killers are black. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to shoe clues, I get a little Knife nitpicky. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm not afraid to cut somebody. Um, and so uh, that, unfortunately, uh, brings the first half of Scream 2 to a close. Uh, as much as I would love to talk about it with all three of you <laughs> for hours and hours and hours. But... Uh, it's time to choose our own death venture. And that is where we decide of the deaths presented in this motion picture. Uh, if we were forced to die that way, which one would we choose and why? Up for bid, we have stabbed in the ear brain inside of a bathroom, which can't be sanitary. Uh, stabbed seven times uh, inside the Egyptian theater. 
stabbed in the back twice, uh, tossed through a window and then off of a four-story balcony, and, of course, stabbed four times real good in a news van. And uh, let's see, last time I went with Joe first. So, Trace, I choose you to decide right up front. I'm going to go with CeCe's death only because I am hoping and praying that I break my neck in that fall. Yeah. Like, like instant death. Because here's the thing. With the stall death, you can, I mean, he's obviously alive for a little bit as he just sits there. And you can potentially survive that, and that would hurt really bad. Yeah. The knife, like, stabbed seven times, um, that would suck. I do like the attention she gets when she dies. It's, like, her own, like, one-woman show. Like, that's awesome. Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it also sounds very painful. And then Randy's, you know, we don't get to see it. We get to hear it, um, which I think also gives, um, it's, like, what Gina was saying, where it's, like, yeah, these deaths are kind of prolonged. It's not as, gra- it's, like, graphic, but, like, you're hearing all this. Uh, it's too yeah. long. It's, he's making noises up to the fourth stab. Boy, you're dead. Come on. Yeah. So (laughs) I'm going to go with what I presume would be the quickest death, which is even though I'm getting stabbed twice in the back, hopefully they sever a nerve and I'm paralyzed um, and I can't feel anything. And then I just break my neck in the fall. Yeah. Okay. Uh, That's a a reasonable thing. You know, you're going to have to wear that crochet top. uh, You know what? I'm the one that liked it. So it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) That lends credence to your choice. Everything uh, reads out. Okay, Joe, what say you? All right. So, I might have thought of CeCe's death as well, but I am terrified hmm. of heights. So the idea of going over a four-story balcony head first is a fuck no for me. So <laughs> I'm I'm going to choose the attention-seeking death because if I can rock a bald head and like a beautiful color, like a, a kind of blood red crimson cami, the way that Jada Pinkett mm-hmm. Smith does, and then I get to die on a movie theater stage, then yes, give it to me. I mean, I think I think you. Uh, I, I've seen pictures of you in like a crop top sort of thing. Like you, you have a very angular face. You have a live body. I, I think it works for you. I'll take it. I think you'd look great in that color. Yeah, a uh, live body. Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> you see that, Trace? He'll take it. All right, he will Gina, take it. Uh, <laughs> I ain't no homo repressed mama's boy. <laughs> well, did listen. This is not that kind of podcast. If you want to talk dirty to me like that, that has to be on our night calls. Right? <laughs> Gina, what's we confirm this? Harmonica style is okay. Oh, what's happening, everybody? <laughs> I too am going to uh, uh, take Maureen's very public death. Uh, I'm generally a very reserved, reserved person. I don't like getting a lot of attention. But you know, what? if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna die. Just let it be really dramatic and over the top. Yes. I too, I too will do a whole why? Oh God! <laughs> you know, try to keep my my insides from falling out. Just you know, doing my death crawls to you know the front of the stage. That was uh, the sound. She, it's like. <laughs> I love it. It's a giant fuck you to all those assholes. Just no, this is I uncomfortable blame for everyone. All you motherfuckers. <laughs> Uh, it makes sense it totally makes sense and so that leaves me yeah i don't want to put my ear up against i don't like things that happen to people's no. ears uh, that's been the same low in the bathroom. oh it's a toilet tornado is the whole idea uh secondly i i, I don't want to be stabbed in the egyptian theater uh, <laughs> i've been on those i i've touched those floors i know things that have happened there I am also uh, afraid of heights, so there's no way 
I'm choosing CC's death. So I'm going <laughs> to, this pains huh? me. It pains me to say this, but given my luck in life, I'm going to end up dying like Randy. Wow. A, a character I do not like. Just get, I do get not care snatched for. off your feet into a van. Yes, by a woman. <laughs> and by by a woman who, who who probably like is just working off of crazy mom strength, like we've talked about on this podcast, Gina. It's like I've, it's like it's predestined, and now I have to be really fucking wary around vans now because I think it's gonna happen. I might end up dying that you way. You put it into the universe; it's gonna happen. Well, it's okay, Patrick. Just try I'm, to avoid women who wear pantsuits, which should be really easy in your line of work. <laughs> <laughs> it's true i do work from home so if becky puts on a pantsuit we're yeah i'm gonna have to start being very wary of my surroundings from that so moment. what we're saying is though that we all agree that none of us would take phil stevens's death no no Mm-mm. no, no. <laughs> jesus christ no we we all have self-respect for christ's sakes <laughs> no uh, so that pretty much does it before we go. Uh, Joe, Trace, why don't you tell people uh, where people, where they can find you and the things that you do? All right. So we do host a weekly podcast called Horror Queers. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to get in touch with us, we are at Horror Queers on Instagram and Twitter. And if you want to just talk to me because I'm obviously the way cooler of the two of us, then <laughs> that would be at B stole my remote. And that's the letter B. And if you want to talk to just me, because fuck that noise, uh, it is <laughs> at Traced Thurman. It's my first name and last name with a D as in dog in the middle uh, on Twitter and Instagram. So, um, yeah, and uh, you can, uh, I, I guess, I don't know when this is dropping, but um, look for Joe and I's coverage of South by Southwest coming up. Yes, uh, a whole bunch of movies all playing in very short order that <laughs> no one has a very good handle on how to yeah. watch. Yep. So that should be very interesting. <laughs> no one can we're RSVP. Gonna, we're going to figure it out together. <laughs> uh, Gina, where can people find you on these here internets? I write about movies and television at thespool.net. I too will be covering South by Southwest and I Ooh. am equally as confused <laughs> by... Uh, <laughs> How we're supposed to watch approximately eight movies in three days. Solidarity, um, Gina. Yes. Uh, and I'm also on Twitter at Porcelain72. Do it today, people. Check it out. You can find us in all the usual places. And of course, the body count will continue for us when we return to Screen 2 uh, for myself, for Trace, for Joe, for Gina. <laughs> bye bye, everybody. Bye. bye. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, oh, hold on one second, everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Yes, please. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, hold on. Everyone, I'm going to add a note. That it uh, 53 minutes. Edit. Out. Dinner. Delivery. I have not eaten since 2 o'clock. Yes, I made soup. <laughs> yes, I made eggplant fucking fries. That's what I did. I stuck them in egg whites with tomato paste. Hmm. And I put them in the fucking oven and I'm going to eat them and I'm going to mute myself when I do it. Okay. Um, so we're waiting for that delivery. My apologies. You're good.